Do we need children's and youth ministries? Uh, is it a necessity for us to, we talk all about ministering to families and kids and youth and passing on the gospel, uh, but do we need these formalized children's and youth ministries and, and all the resources that get dedicated to that? Here we go! Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Hello, welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. All right, Tony. Well, we are back at it. Only one today. Uh, so how was your Thanksgiving? It was pretty good. So we had to deal with some illness. So we were just by ourselves. But we were really blessed by uh, we were dropped off some food by some friends from our, our church. And it was uh, really lovely. And then I smoked a turkey the day after Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. We got to see my wife's family. And we also, my brother-in-law smoked a turkey for us. So it took a lot longer than we expected. Um, but it was worth the wait. It was very good. And uh, it was good to see <clears throat> some family we hadn't seen in a while. Had a little snow up in Pennsylvania. so uh, And it didn't have to drive in the snow either. So that was kind of like the best of both worlds. That's nice. So, Yeah, we haven't had a main. We haven't really had much snow yet. But, uh, you know, knock on wood, by the time the podcast is up, we'll probably be covered by feet of, feet of snow. <laughs> yeah yeah we actually we came back to georgia and it was warm now it's, it's cooling off again but it's just the weather's crazy down here um so maybe during your your thanksgiving time uh you looked at the the quantity of food or the amount of food that you had eaten and you know you asked the question oh, do i really need this do i need this extra piece of pumpkin pie or uh, did that happen for you I mean, maybe a little bit. I, I'm a big pumpkin pie fan, so I'm not sure I ever asked that specifically a pumpkin pie. <laughs> I, I literally, when I was in college one time and I was by myself for Thanksgiving, I bought an, the, the biggest pumpkin pie they had at Walmart and ate it all by myself. So, <laughs> Well done. <laughs> How are you, Ben? Have you asked that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I can. Yeah. I sometimes can get nodded off about things like that. But uh, the other day, actually, my sister sent me and my my wife uh, this video. So my, I don't do TikTok. My sister does TikTok. And so the only time I ever watch TikTok is if my sister sends me something specific. And so um, there was this video from a very large church, and there were these guys going back and forth on the ceiling like you know, like flying sort of, uh, like Peter Pan, but they were drumming. And I think it was supposed to be like a little drummer boy thing. And then you could see Jesus up on the stage. And then there was another one with the same facility. And there was like, I guess it was supposed to be Santa's sleigh. I didn't actually see Santa. Um, it was, but a large red sleigh. Now maybe it was St. Nicholas and he was going into, uh, Nicaea and he was looking for areas to smack him. I mean, that would have been a cool church play. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I just looked at the the structure there and thought, you know, that's really impressive that they had all this coordinated and I mean that this well done. But 
do we need this uh, was the question that came away asking. Do you guys have that there at uh, Poland Baptist? Uh, I mean, we make sure to do a big shindag. Uh, we do, you know, the Easter plays that are thematic based on movies. No, we don't do much of that kind of stuff. Uh, so, okay, you don't come, you don't enter for the sermon, like being suspended. Um, yeah, you know, even if I wanted to, I don't think we could, but uh, I'm probably fine not being able to do that. Okay, well... That, that kind of addresses our topic today uh, about do we need children's and youth ministries? Uh, is it a necessity for us to, we talk all about ministering to families and kids and youth and passing on the gospel, uh, but do we need these formalized children's and youth ministries and, and all the resources that get dedicated to that? So let's start off, Tony. Does your, your local church, Poland Baptist, have a children's or a youth pastor or even like a senior adult minister or uh, whatever else? No, I would say no on that. I mean, we have uh, four different elders, all of whom are basically generalist and kind of equal. So I am the only staff member, so we don't have like a youth pastor on staff or anything else on staff other than the supported elder and me. And uh, that, you know, I will say that uh, uh, I actually have served uh, churches uh, that with all but the last one, though, you know, so I, I don't think I've ever been at, served at a church that had a formal senior adult minister. Uh, but I think there was an informal one eventually at a church I was at, but uh, not really. But how about you, Ben? I, I think your church has all of those, correct? We have someone, I mean, I have responsibility for children's ministry. We have someone who has responsibility directly for uh, youth ministry. We don't have anybody that does senior adults, but I mean, I've seen churches that have senior adult minister and they have uh, young adults and married adults and median adults. And, uh, you know, I mean, you could just multiply on, you know, the pastor of puppet ministry and all the rest. Furries um, pastor? What's that? Pastor of the furries? I don't know. <laughs> 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 well, that might be a an you know, outreach kind of thing. Um, so, um, anyway, so Tony, you do, does that your church? You so you don't have uh, <laughs> <laughs> your church does not have a, someone set aside in that role that you know that that's their designated responsibility or they're paid to to give attention to that. Do you have a children's ministry or youth ministry department? Someone that kind of leads that up, even in a, a volunteer way. I mean, not formally, I would say. I mean, we do have Sunday school. We have something we, we call Kingdom Cadets, which is uh, akin to junior children's church, but it's more preparatory for younger kids. And we have Backyard Bible Club in, on the summer, but nothing really avert for teens. And these are all just kind of together under the elders. Uh, that, uh, you know, most of, a lot of them, uh, I don't teach as directly, but uh, we have some fantastic volunteers, but I tend to kind of be the elder that more divertly oversees, even though we have really wonderful volunteers that we trust. Uh, you know, we have been open to occasional informal youth specialist type situations, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, that kind of thing, but uh, an informal youth activity, but we don't have a lot of that formal stuff, I, not as much as I know you do. So, but uh, I assume then you have everything really formal departments, correct? I guess you could call it that. Yes. I mean, like in our budget, we have money that's set aside for this particular uh, area of ministry and for this. And um, so, yeah, we do have some more formal 
infrastructure on that kind of thing. Um, now, you mentioned your Kingdom Cadets. That's not to be con- uh, confused with Calvinist Cadets. Have you heard of them? I have not heard of Calvinist Cadets, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, you look it up. I just, I don't know. I stumbled on it one day, but I, I think it's something that kind of grew up in the upper Midwest, you know, um, where folks from, from the Reformed churches in Europe had come. And so, yes, the Calvinist cadets. Um, so, Tony, since you guys don't have these formal roles, and are you against such specialized roles or ministries in churches? Yeah, I mean, I I would not say I'm necessarily against it inherently in general, but I think I suspect most versions of it tend to be pretty unhelpful. Uh, Again, I mean, that doesn't mean that all. I mean, just in the same way, I mean, you can have a healthy Thanksgiving dessert, I guess, but most versions they think of for Thanksgiving desserts are not healthy. Uh, You know, I think if these things are subservient to what God gave us, which would be, to me, the, you know, ordinary means of grace, especially the local church, the Sunday worship service, and if they're supporting them, they can definitely be helpful at times. Uh, But I still think even in those cases where they're done well, I I think that we have a tendency to dramatically overvalue them. Uh, I mean, actually, I think of an example of that was, uh, I remember uh, a church was being asked, I was part of was being asked to support a missionary that was going to establish formal youth ministries in a part of India where teenagers are kind of with the adults and basically it was presented as like, oh no, this is such a dire situation. And I'm not as sure it's such a dire situation. How about you, Ben? Uh, no, I'm not against it. Now, I, I would share some of your concerns. Now, obviously, I'm uh, my job is that and even before I was paid to do it, I did participate in, you know, age-graded ministries that a church had, you know, set aside resources and people and that kind of thing uh, in, in various places. So I see a role for it, and it, I agree with you. It, it can be done well to supplement, um, but it can also – there can be a lot of issues with it. So, um, so yeah. But obviously, I mean, I, I don't have any issues of conscience taking a paycheck for doing it, but I, I want to be careful to make sure that it's not um, growing into some kind of beast that will come up and, you know, eat the, the offspring. Um, so, yeah. So, Tony, have Christians always done it the way that is common now in American evangelicalism? Because, I mean, you mentioned even in India it was not happening, at least in the, the region that uh, these missionaries are trying to go to, but uh, is this kind of the the standard, or no? I definitely not throughout history. I mean, I, I think a first formal children's ministry was definitely the first product before youth ministry, uh, and formal children's ministry, which tended to be done with more of the younger kids, is really an evangelistic product of the British Industrial Revolution. Uh, and I do say younger kids with some uh, caveats because a lot of those kids that were getting that kind of formal children's evangelistic type things were, were children, you know, eight, nine-year-olds that were literally working and in factories and they weren't getting education. And so it was kind of you get formal, you get actual like, you know, 
general education and then you get uh, Bible education as well. Uh, and then it kind of developed from there and came into the Americas pretty quickly. Uh, but youth ministry really didn't exist for you know another 100 or so years uh, apart from parachurch ministries. Youth ministry and parachurch ministries, uh, especially like campus ministries, has existed for a long time probably. Uh, but it didn't exist kind of that informal way in churches until, uh, until Americans returned from World War II. Uh, and, and it's funny, actually, that uh, I was uh, reading kind of a, an explanation of the history of youth ministry. It was done by somebody, I don't think it's even a Christian, and they kind of presented as uh, they, and it probably is the case that the beginning of youth ministry was kind of Americans that went to Europe seeing how effective Hitler was at indoctrinating youth uh, through the Hitler hmm. youth and, and church youth ministries. And I'm not saying that church youth ministries are Nazism, but it was kind of replicating the same principle, the same approaches that, that the Nazis had. So, uh, but most global Christians still basically don't have any of this. Uh, but young people are still discipled throughout most places where Christians are serious and growing in, this pl- in their faith. Uh, and at, lastly, I'll just add, this had previously before, you know, World War II, before the Industrial Revolution, Revolution had been parenting, was the most formal children's ministry in youth ministry, and informal mentorship kind of through the church. Plus, pastoral visits, I think. We even see in the Reformation, pastoral visits to young people was a significant role of discipleship young people. I like how you brought up some history, and I, I figured that you would go there. Um, <laughs> I, I was uh, looking over some notes from a book I read a few years back called The Juvenilization of American Christianity. Mm-hmm. This guy is a believer, um, and he teaches, I think, youth ministry. So, I mean, he, he's got uh, personal skin in the game, if you want to call it that. But he was also critical of a lot of things, and and he did go back to that period. Even he took it a little ahead of World War II in the 20s and 30s. In this, in America in particular, uh, this rise of the feeling of the need to save our way of life. There's these threats. We've just come out of World War One. Okay, the Depression is hitting mm-hmm. World War Two, uh, and then after that, into communism, and they're going to come and they're going to take away our, our way of life and this is terrible and i mean honestly those those are some real threats you can see why people would have gotten a little agitated about these things um and so he said if you look at the amount of money that was spent during that time period um depression and with a war effort uh it, it is pretty amazing the the willingness people had to give money to these kinds of things like youth for christ and other <clears throat> and that was a parachurch kind of outreach yeah um does that still exist do you know yeah, yeah, it does. So, okay, yeah, I, I thought so, but um, anyway, and he looked at it, you know, evangelicals. He looked at liberal Protestants. He looked at the Black Church. He looked at Roman Catholics. Just, uh, I, I think you would like the book. Um, I've actually I've wanted to get that guy on here. Uh, Thomas Burkler is his yeah, name. Um, so, anyway, uh, yeah, this is. I think it is just helpful to to do the history to see that it is relatively new in church history. Um, and so that should, you know, make us consider some things. Um, so since, I mean, it's just standard fare for American evangelicalism. And I mean, that's the majority of the people who listen. They're in American evangelical churches. We do have some people listening in other contexts. Um, but I mean, it's just sort of the air that we breathe, uh, for a lot of us. 
so, I mean, are these things necessary for the progress and joy in the faith that Paul talks about in Philippians? Uh, is, is it necessary for the faith of the next generations? No, I definitely don't think they're necessary. Uh, and I think part of the reason why I think so many assume they're necessary actually does even go back to the history. Because, you know, it's funny because I think we have a way, especially of Christians, we assume that if our grandparents did it when they were our age, that it's always been done. But we forget to think, what did our grandparents' grandparents or their grandparents do? Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, and the truth is, in most cases, they didn't have these things. And they did progress in joy and in faith for the next generation. So, uh, But fundamentally, I think we have to say, if we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which basically is the idea that the Bible is authority enough for us, and if we believe in the ordinary means of grace, we, of course, have to definitively say no that they're not necessary. Um, you know, and actually, I think it's fascinating because one of the most overt scriptures on us, on the sufficiency of scripture and how scripture is enough uh, is 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, and 3.15 as well. And that the context clearly actually is about being discipled as young people originally. He's referring, Paul is referring to how Paul first, Paul was, uh, Timothy was discipled as a young person by by older generations. Uh, and so, and he says, even in that, even in that, he seems to show that scripture is enough. Uh, scripture is sufficient. You don't need these programs for young people. So, uh, but I think that regardless, ignoring young people is not an option. And I think that so often it's the case that those that don't have a lot of this have kind of resorted to the just the ignoring young people. And that is not helpful. Uh, but one thing I do find fascinating is that some studies seem to show, and my suspicion is that stud these studies don't include, uh, don't uh, consider churches like yours, which I think do a lot of good with what you have. But some studies, like Christian Smith has shown that uh, churches without these kind of programs are actually really no worse off with the spirituality of their young people. In fact, it, there might even be evidence that there is higher faith retention among those who grow up without it. Uh, which really uh, that tells us that, you know, there is a famous uh, quote, Andy Stanley referred to parents being selfish a few years ago who don't leave these small churches without the formal programs. He said, mm -hmm. basically, you're selfish and you're hurting your kids unless you join big churches like mine. And, uh, and so we must reject that mentality if we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and if we believe that God is faithful to use, uh, use these ordinary means. But what do you think on that, Ben? Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you just look at the the reality, the church is here now. And so obviously, word and spirit has been enough. Um, and we don't need drummers coming from the sky. And, and I, you know, I mean, I would not do that probably in any circumstance ever. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I can't say it's like necessarily sinful, uh, smoke and lasers and, you know, all the rest, but, uh, and so, you know, with, with these age graded ministries, um, I know I've heard that Vody Bauckham, uh, has justified youth, youth ministry only on the grounds that it's basically a missions effort because it's like cross-cultural missions. It's becoming, and, and there is something yeah. to be said for that, that, and, and if you don't know, he's a big proponent of, uh, what is it? Family integrated yep. ministry. Just everybody's all together all the time. Um, you know, so, uh, but yeah, I, I think the things that you said, 
I would agree with. And it's certainly, these things can be helpful, but they are not necessary. The, the church has endured by God's grace and the power of his spirit for two, almost 2,000 years now. So, um, so Tony, how could a church that doesn't have these formalized ministries or these formalized roles still contribute to the faith of the next generations? Because you said, I mean, even just quoting some sociological stuff, that apparently that seems to be happening. Your church is in the position like that. Um, and there's a lot of churches globally that would be there. So, yeah, speak to that. Yeah, so I think that one thing that we have to, I think Scripture speaks to this clearly, is we need to encourage parents in their task of discipling kids as the primary pastor, if you will, of each child. Um, and then I think in a way, I uh, have the whole congregation, you know, there's there's the old uh, term, Hillary Clinton famously liked to talk about it. it, takes a village to raise a child, and I do not at all remotely agree with Hillary Clinton's mentality with that, uh, but, uh, the, but I think in a way, there is truth about that in the church. It takes the village of the church to disciple a child. We all have to kind of come together. We all have to work in the discipleship of, of kids, and I think actually even practical ways that I love the beauty of seeing that in our church is, you know, our church does not have a children's pastor, but you know what it does have? It has the candy man and it has the candy woman, two separate people, uh, separate retired believers. And uh, the candy man, uh, his name's George, you know, after every service, he has candy for the kids and he blesses the kids and they ru all run to him. And then similarly to the retired woman uh, and, you know, and she blesses all the kids and even our kids, uh, when my wife wasn't able to be at the service this past Sunday, our kids sit with her and they love it. They love sitting with her and her husband. Uh, you know, so in a way that be kind of becomes it in a really healthy way. You don't have to have the formal things. Uh, but I think beyond that, a church without these kind of formal things should address young people, especially in the sermon and their struggles when we are teaching broadly. When we have the kids in this room, I don't think it's ever okay to just kind of act, just ignore them. Uh, I mean, even I really like Nine Marks just had an article about uh, asking pastors what's on your um, pastors what's on your kids menu. And I think that must be considered, especially when you don't have these, but I would argue when you have them as well. Uh, but finally, I, I would just say building authentic intergenerational relationships especially by the elders as keys. And, and I think actually one demonstration of the effectiveness of this, of how it kind of in a way becomes these ministries is, as you know, we don't as a church even have a formal special needs ministry. Uh, we have some in our church, a few in our church that have some handicaps and limitations, uh, especially young, young one young woman. And uh, there is one of our elders, uh, Pastor Michael Breton, he is known by uh, by a particular person in our church as Mr. Buttons. And, you know, he kind of celebrates that. And and that this person that, you know, has some handicap just loves seeing Mr. Buttons every Sunday. And, and I think to me that that's beautiful, even if you don't have a formal special needs ministry. Yeah, I mean, there are so many different needs that that can be addressed, whether it's foster or special needs or uh, a recovery from abuse or divorce. And so uh, most churches just simply can't have formalized resources and programs and stuff dedicated to every single thing. There's a few churches out there that seem to, um, yeah. and you know, they have more people than some small cities. Uh, so it, it allows for that. 
but yeah, I, I think that's great. I mean, I, like my parents' church is, is uh, I mean, I think it's larger than your church, but it's smaller than our church. Um, and there's a, a young man there who's who's got some special needs, and you know, they've his family um, has been there for some time, and he is just loved and embraced. But the kids have. Uh, they watch out for him. And I mean, he's, he's gotten older now, but you know, growing up, other kids would kind of watch out for him, other adults. And my dad in particular, uh, I mean, they had a relationship outside the church. And so they want to go to the fair and ride the, uh, the pirate ship, you know, just that kind of thing. And there's just a, a a recognition, um, that these people love me. Um, and so I think, you know, when it comes to investing in the next generation, uh, Yes, it can certainly happen. I think, you know, you have to be careful these days because of, of concerns about uh, child safety and just all that kind of stuff. Um, you can't turn a blind eye to that. It calls for a lot of wisdom, but there can be ways that you can invest, you know, both on the church property or away. Uh, but, it, you know, you do want to be careful. Um, just even protecting from the appearance of evil and accusations and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think. Too, I mean, you. I think you sort of address this, but even in your sermons, sometimes having a point where you direct the kids in the room or the the you know young adults, the teenagers in the room, um, whether you call them out by name or just the the illustration or the application you're giving in a sermon is directly geared towards them. It's just acknowledging, hey, I know you're here, and I'm expecting that you're paying attention. Um, Praying for them out loud, you know, in front of the church, that kind of thing. So, I mean, let's let's break it down a little bit. The formal ministries and the formal roles and all that. So, what are the advantages and and what are the disadvantages or the dangers or, yeah, just kind of take that where you want to go. Yeah. So, I definitely, by the way, uh, as much as sometimes I can be very opinionated <laughs> on this topic. I, I do want to note for listeners that I'm probably only 4% as more suspicious of the next generation ministries than Ben is. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of beauty and good when it's done right. Uh, so I, I think you can, when you have these kind of formal uh, ministries, uh, that, you know, you can have kind of this rifle aim at specific struggles uh, or specific needs. I mean, this the reality is that there is going to be, to a degree, different struggles with different generations. Uh, and even as, you know, uh, one that's kind of against it, as Ben kind of brought up, noted that he kind of sees it as an evangelistic. Well, he sees it as an evangelistic ministry, particularly because there tends to be particular uh, n- inherent struggles that you have to navigate with children and youth. Uh, but I think you can actually use these things when you have formal ministries uh, to uh, show the importance of the greater thing. You know, I'm sure the importance of the actual local church. Uh, but the, to me, the disadvantages and danger of this, when especially when you don't do that, would be bec- uh, that they often become kind of first string discipleship, if you know what I mean. Uh, kind of the main source of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I suspect in most cases, that's what happens with formalized next generation ministries. It kind of becomes the main means of discipleship or even a replacement for other things, literally even. I mean, again, I, 
I've been in cases where I, in youth ministry, I was being pushed to make it so that teenagers had no interaction with the local church, really, at one point. And so, yeah, I think that would be uh, an explicit replacement. Uh, and I think quite often they end up juvenilizing the faith. And mm-hmm. as a result, they kind of fracture the body uh, with that. So, uh, but, so I think it's kind of easy for this further to bring even more destructive disadvantages. And the fact that it's kind of a way that oftentimes youth ministry and children's ministry as well, can, in their formal sense, can very easily embrace the worst kinds of what I might call cool Christianity. You know, the kind of basically making the appeal that, you know, you can, that, you know, we're going to make this fun, we're going to make this cool and hip and almost, and it's not wrong to be cool, it's not wrong to be fun, but making that kind of the driving force and and actually increasing the difficulty of discipling through what might be a boring worship service, for example. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think you can certainly give dedicated attention and effort and resources to it that might be very well spent. Um, and we've done that before where we purchased certain things, that, but they were purchased so that the parents could read it with their children or it was something that specifically target, uh, targeted to the parents. Um, and so it can provide a context for that, but it's not a, an automatic. I mean, you can just do stupid stuff with the money um and it can cause parents to just sort of abdicate and go well they're the professionals um i, I mean i don't know i have a hard enough time talking to my teenager and they seem to excel at it so hey that's why i bring them um and so and, and churches can either implicitly or explicitly just think it's their job uh, primarily to do that so and i yeah the, as far as lowering the bar whether it's spiritual maturity or just maturity in general um I mean, there is a lot of time in our culture where people are grouped together in age range kind of things, um, adults, but less less so. Um, I mean, particularly in the workplace, you're going to be working with people that are not just in your age range. Um, but it's I mean, I think it can be a blessing to, to be for teenagers, for example, to be around other teenagers at times who love the Lord and, and it could push them on, particularly if they're in a situation in school or whatever it may be, where they're not around a lot of believers. And so it's just a reminder, okay, there are other people with me uh, where we're pushing each other on towards the Lord. But <clears throat> it can also just you know, be frivolity. Um, so let's, on the flip side of this, um, not having formal ministries and roles, what are some advantages to that? But what are also some disadvantages or potential dangers that you see? Yeah, uh, so it's interesting because I think that there's a tendency to kind of feel like there's no advantages of this. And even if some people kind of concede that, you know, yeah, I guess that, uh, you know, you don't need them, there's no inherent advantages. But I would disagree with that. I think that to me the clearest advantage uh, would be that it shows young people they are part of something bigger than their age group. Uh, which I think means a great deal to show that, you know, their peer in the local church, especially if they're a believer, is just as much the person that's their age as it is their brother or sister in Christ that's, you know, maybe literally 10 times their age. Um, and, And I think with this, uh, this can make mentoring relationships really a more natural process, more organic. 
uh, which really, I think, especially helps those who, and I know a lot of Gen Z is kind of averse to things being fake. You know, the real, the least fake thing, I think, is these kind of organic mentoring relationships. But I, I would definitely say there can be dangers. Uh, and I think one of the biggest ones is, the da- is that young people could be ignored. Or worse, you know, young people could be even seen as a distraction in contexts where there's none of these things. You know, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, I, I don't always think that taking kids away is the solution, but I'm not sure that the better alternative is, you know, to let the kids be there and then have everybody uh, annoyed and, you know, intolerant of those kids that are there. Uh, I think it should be something different between either of those. But sometimes that ends up being the alternative. Um, I think this will take the ability to address specific age-based issues, uh, you know, that we have to do it. Uh, But it will take, I'm sorry, ah, sorry. This will take away kind of the ability that we might have to be rifle-focused. If we don't have these formal things, it will be, uh, more difficult, maybe even in a way impossible, to specifically address some age-based issues. Uh, but even that, I think, has advantages to it. You know, if we're not just being like, hey, I'm going to hit this, you know, but instead if we're making, addressing the broader principle, sometimes we're equipping them for all of life rather than just necessarily how you deal with TikTok, for example. But TikTok does need to be talked about with teens sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I agree with what you said. I really don't have anything to add. I think we've talked about this before. The tendency of fallen humans is that we swing back and forth like a pendulum. And so we overreact to the previous overreaction and then, you know, it just keeps going. And so just the presence of the programs by itself is not good or necessarily bad. And the absence of them is also not necessarily good or bad or that that one is the optimal and, and the other one is, you know, from Satan. Um, both would require wise, spirit-empowered effort and attention to what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so um, I think that that's the key there. And then with the structure that you've got, um, then you work within that. And there may be a time you say, well, we need to change some things about the structure as well. But um, that, that's just it's a case-by-case kind of thing. So, Tony, how can churches that, uh, that don't have these programs and these roles and, you know, drummers coming from the ceiling and all that, um, how can they help parents actively pass on the faith? Yeah, I think that the pulpit is going to be one key area. And I think we can't undervalue the work of the pulpit, even though, you know, I know most next generation workers and most listeners will not, frankly, be in the pulpit. Uh, But for those that are and those who really, like all of us, have some degree of influence on those that are in the pulpit, I I think we should encourage talking about discipling the next generations uh, in these kind of ways from the formal teaching ministries of the church. Uh, Further, I I think we should provide resources that can accomplish some of the same kind of training even with less time investment. So, you know, I I think it's wise that, you know, especially in my kind of position as the only full-time employee, I should be aware 
uh, of good women's ministry resources, good children's ministry resources, good re- books for youth. And, you know, provide these kind of gift, these books, gift, these you know, videos in some cases so that, you know, you can kind of have some of those benefits even without the formal nature of it. So uh, but I, I think beyond that, and I think this seems really general, but I think it is important. I, I think elders do well. All elders do well to kind of build relationships with young people. And, mm-hmm. I, and you know, and that's something, you know, I actually that this coming Sunday, I, I think I'm going to have to apologize to some particularly young people for not being intentional enough with them. Uh, but, yeah, so I, maybe those are some helpful ways. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I agree with you. Um that you know, my role is with children and family, uh, among other things, and so I, I emphasize a lot with the adults. But I do have time with kids. Um, I'm not taking up a lot of time with individual kids for various reasons, but I, I could press into that more than I do. Um, but I think it's a healthy thing for for kids, uh, children, and teenagers to see adults in their church or leaders in their church taking an interest in them, uh, asking them questions about their soul and and that kind of thing, what's important to them, and just getting to know them. Uh, You mentioned the TikTok thing. I mean, there can be times where, yeah, maybe you have some people in your church that are at a certain phase of life and they're dealing with certain issues. There can be some wisdom in just pulling some of them aside, whether it's informally or, hey, we're going to have this thing for parents uh, and you have an elder or somebody that give a talk about something or have a question and answer kind of thing uh, to help them think through some issues, uh, even if you don't have a formal ministry for that. Um, it, it can just be a, a way of acknowledging, hey, we're there, we know you're dealing with this. Um, so, Tony, how – on the other hand, when you've got a church that does have some of these ministries or and or these roles, how can they avoid giving the impression that they're the pros and just kind of implicitly discouraging parents from taking a more active role in discipling their kids? Well, listeners, you get to listen to me tell Ben how to do his job now. <laughs> get a mansplain to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, word of the year, by the way. I don't know if <laughs> really? Yeah, seriously, it was word of the year. And whatever. But anyway, so uh, I think be willing to take breaks uh, from the formal ministries in ways uh, that can promote the big things. I think that is one uh, very realistic and helpful strategy. And even if it's, you know, I mean, Christmas is on a Sunday. Gather with the saints on Christmas, by the way, brothers and sisters. Uh, But, you know, maybe you don't have, maybe a church doesn't have, you know, their children's church or whatever they call it on Christmas. Maybe that would be a practical little thing. Uh, So, you know, you can show that the bigger things are more more important, that God has actually given. So I I think further, never overstate the, the importance of those kind of programs. Uh, and, you know, actually we have experience with, I, I think, a really healthy church in a lot of ways uh, where, you know, they kind of uh, were the pastor before dismissing this. And I, I may refer to this in podcast uh, at a church before dismissing the children's program kind of referred to, you know, this is the really, really important thing going on for with those kids. And I, I don't know. I don't find that always helpful. Uh, and I think actively communicate in those roles the higher role of parents and the higher role of intergenerational church. Even if you celebrate the benefits of this, again, kind of rifle-focused nature of next-generation ministries. Uh, and, and I think lastly, I think it's important to connect kind of the teaching into the home discipleship. 
um, that you're going to do. Uh, you know, any connect the lessons that you do in children to what's going on in family worship. Uh, connect the lessons you're doing with the teens of what might be going on, and you know, whatever capacity what the families might be talking about, as well as to the broader teachings of the church. So don't kind of let it become its own thing, its own animal, its own beast, but allow it to be something that can be a support and an encouragement, a, a really kind of a cheerleader to the things that God has made. And then I think when it does that, to me, I think it's a very much a net benefit in those cases. Mm. Yeah, I like what you said, uh, beginning with the gathering of Christmas. I mean, Christmas is not a biblically mandated holiday that we celebrate. Um, it is, a, in many ways, a cultural idol. I like Christmas, don't get me wrong, but yeah, gather with God's people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry um, about that tangent. It is coming up before Christmas, though. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I, I really don't have much to add to what you said. Um, I, I think one thing that our uh, James, our youth pastor, so another age-graded person, uh, he took just the uh, some some things that we emphasize with our churches to help people find God, follow Jesus, invest in others, and impact the world. And so he wanted overtly to connect what they were doing in the student ministry to the larger church. And so then he had these uh, large pictures made and hung in the hall where the students are passing for their different, you know, educational kind of things, discipleship stuff, um, had it just hanging there. And, and then he regularly will put that in front of the parents and front of the students that this is what we're trying to do, even in his teaching curriculum, um, mapping it out through the year, trying to tie in those elements. And so I think that's something he's done very well to see, like we want you, and he's emphasized when he meets with people who are making a profession of faith, talking about baptism, about being a member of the church. You're not just part of the youth group, but you, you're coming into the fellowship of the, the whole of God's people. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, I think those are certainly things uh, that we we can make a part. And uh, I mean, even in, in the teaching guide of the church, if you're the one that's, that's preaching, or maybe you could ask your pastor uh, to to consider how certain things in the text that you're going through might apply to that area. Just just making it a, a consideration, um, because that may, I mean, maybe he's very much on it, maybe not, and it would help, um, but it was helping parents along the way. Um, so as we kind of wrap things up, what would you say to a parent that they're at a church without the programs and, and once you do this vice versa with a, someone at a church, uh, that does have the programs, maybe they're feeling a little discontent or they have some questions. What would you say to them? Stay, go. Yeah. Yeah. What? So, I mean, I'm a big believer that church membership is a kind of covenant and that, you know, leaving a church should be something that we have a thoroughly biblical reason for, uh, or, you know, we perhaps have a missions reason for. Um, So I think in both cases, in the vast majority of situations, I would say stay. Uh, It leads to the vast majority of situations that relate to that. But I would also say, uh, you know, if kind of in the latter type of case, you know, if you're in a church that has these programs, but a parent doesn't want to use them, I say you can stay, uh, but at the same time not uh, use the programs. I, I don't think that's a wrong or sinful choice to stay at these church and just be like, hey, this is not for my family and I love you, the person that does use it. Uh, and kind of the vice versa case, I also don't think it's 
a sinful choice to say, you know, if you already trust that doesn't have it, uh, to do what uh, some families in our church do, which is, you know, to utilize things like Awana at another church in midweek and be blessed by those kind of things, even though we don't have that at our church. Uh, but, you know, I'm really not comfortable uh, with his, uh, leaving what to me is, I think local church is effectively like a family over something that is not prescribed in scripture. Uh, scripture doesn't prescribe these kind of things. And I, I also don't think the Bible ever really condemns having these extra things if you're doing what the Bible requires. Um, and I think that this fact happens a ton, and it really does. I mean, children's ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry is one of the biggest cause of people leaving churches. Uh, is to me profoundly damaging to the kingdom. Not just profoundly damaging the kingdom. I think I would be as bold as to say, I think profoundly damaging to next generations and how they see a local church. Uh, but uh, that being said, I think if the church is overstating the importance of these programs uh, and if they are undermining the healthy gospel-centered discipleship that happens, it could be time to leave. Uh, you know, especially I know of churches that would say you can't, you know, that that's not an option to have your kids with you in the worship service. Uh, and, and I think that is definitively, you know, if the church is abusively uh, deciding these things in the way that scripture doesn't, it's to me, maybe even I would encourage leaving. Uh, but if your church, if a church makes clear young people belong uh, in something man-centered, then I, mean, I think to me that would be the biggest factor. But again, I think in most cases that's not, uh, I definitely don't think in your church that's the case. Uh, and I, I wouldn't think that's the case in my church without the formal children's programs. But what do you think about that, Ben? Do you think everybody should leave their church to make sure they have the church that's exactly what they would dream of a church being? Exactly. Um no, I think you provided some good nuance to that. It's not just a one-size-fits-all situation on either side. And so taking the commitment that you have to that group of Christians in a serious way, and so then that would slow you down on any decision you made. And so, yeah, I mean, we have some uh, some brothers in our church who, I mean, they're, it seems like their family uh, growing up, uh, their parents took following the Lord seriously and family discipleship, and then it's passed on to them. And so now they're at a place where they're they're serving um, in various ways, uh, faithful members of our church, and some of them have their own children, very small children. We're talking toddlers, and they had talked to me about it and wondering, you know, was it okay to have their kids or maybe even just say, hey, we would like to have our kids in the service. And I said, hey, that's, yeah, that's great. Um, and so one of them even has been serving in a, a you know, something that happened like children's church, we call it next kid worship, um, but serves in that role. But then, uh, you know, it happens during the sermon. Um, <clears throat> but then he, he contacted me and said that he was looking to maybe reposition himself so that he could be in the service to help out. So it, was, it wasn't all on his wife. Um, and so, I mean, I think that's, that's great. And our senior pastor Mark has has said a number of times, and then I will, I frequently repeated it to people. You know, he says he he does if kids are in here and they're making noise or they're crying, he says, I don't notice. I just I want them to be there, and so just emphasizing that. Um, but anyway, that's not really directly related to uh, to that question. But 
Um, I, I um, do want to, by the way, what you said, I do want to piggyback on it. I actually really like you bringing that up because I, I, I think those things should be celebrated as part of these things. And, you know, even in our church, I know of, you know, we have a similar case. We have, we don't have a lot of volunteers for the program during the worship service because we're a small church. But one of them is, is a mother who doesn't, you know, is of the conviction that her kids should be in the worship service, but she wants to serve others. And man, I, I think that is, that is so cool. You know, mm-hmm. that she does that. And in it, likewise, it's so cool that I, I know of those that, you know, would those that would prefer their kids be in those kind of programs that really love on the kids that are in the worship service that, you know, that are of the age that they could be in the programs. And I think to me that that is dandy. I don't use that. Term <laughs> but, but what else are you going to say? I'm sorry for the interruption. No, I just in general, just kind of hit the brakes and unfortunately, yes, a lot of decisions are made. Oh, this one has a cool youth group or they, you know, they connect with the people here and there can be a time. I mean, I know someone who made a decision. They felt like their, their son was headed towards ministry, which he did end up, you know, continuing in that path. Um, and they felt like at this other church, he was going to get a level of maybe discipleship and mentoring that was just better suited for what they kind of saw him headed towards and what he had a, an aspiration to do. And I mean, I wasn't there when they did it. And, you know, this was in a different state. Um, I know the parents are godly. And so I, I think, you know, there can be many factors, but it wasn't like, well, he likes the music there better and they have cool games and stuff and pizza. So we're going to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he, he at least wants to be there. Um, it was, a, you know, this, the decision-making grid was just on a different level. Um, so, yeah, I think it takes wisdom. But but take your commitment to your the people in your church in a serious way before thinking about doing something different. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Um, I mean, maybe you have these convictions about, oh, everybody should be together. And uh, there's that church down the road that does it like that. We're going to go there. And, you know, they, they have their own problems and things like that. Uh, and then if you're, man, it would just be nice to have children's church or something so I could focus during the sermon. Well, there's there's problems down the road, too, and it's not going to solve everything. So, um, well, Tony, I think this has been uh, helpful to just stop and think about some of these things because we're the two of us are in different contexts. You've been in a, a context more similar to mine and. I'm trying to, I have been in a, a context that was not quite like yours, but maybe closer to it. And uh, yeah, we've both benefited spiritually and seen other people benefit spiritually. So it was just helpful to bounce some of these things off each other and and help people to stop and think about this, whatever situation they might be in or wish they were in. Yeah, I agree. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, God bless and thanks for listening and uh, see you next time. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.